Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Distracted Preacher by Thomas Hardy. Read by Tyke Hines. Chapter Six. The Great Search at Nether Moynton. Stockdale was so excited by the events of the evening and the dilemma that he was placed in between conscience and love that he did not sleep or even doze, but remained as broadly awake as at noonday. As soon as the grey light began to touch ever so faintly the whiter objects in his bedroom, he arose, dressed himself, and went downstairs into the road. The village was already astir. Several of the carriers had heard the well-known tramp of Latimer's horse while they were undressing in the dark that night, and had already communicated with each other and Owlet on the subject. The only doubt seemed to be about the safety of those tubs which had been left under the church gallery stairs, and after a short discussion at the corner of the mill it was agreed that these should be removed before it got lighter, and hidden in the middle of a double hedge bordering the adjoining field. However, before anything could be carried into effect the footsteps of many men were heard coming down the lane from the highway. "'Damn it, here they be,' said Owlet, who, having already drawn the hatch and started his mill for the day, stood stolidly at the mill-door covered with flour, as if the interest of his whole soul was bound up in the shaking walls around him. The two or three men with whom he had been talking dispersed to their usual work, and when the excise officers and the formidable body of men they had hired reached the village cross between the mill and Mrs. Newbury's house, the village wore the natural aspect of a place beginning its morning labours. Now, said Latimer to his associates, who numbered thirteen men in all, what I know is that the things are somewhere in this here place. We have got the day before us, and tis hard if we can't light upon them and get them to Budmouth Custom House before night. First we'll try the fuel-houses, and then we'll work our way into the chimmers, and then to the ricks and stables, and so creep round. You've got nothing but your noses to guide your mind, so use them to-day if you never did in your lives before." The search began. Owlet, during the early part, watched from his mill-window, Lizzie from the door of her house with the greatest self-possession. A farmer down below, who also had a share in the run, rode about with one eye on his fields and the other on Latimer and his myrmidons, prepared to put them off the scent if he should be asked a question. Stockdale, who was no smuggler at all, felt more anxiety than the worst of them, and went about his studies with a heavy heart coming frequently to the door to ask Lizzie some question or other of the consequences to her of the tubs being found. "'The consequences,' she said quietly, "'are simply that I shall lose them. As I have none in the house or garden, they can't touch me personally.' "'But you have some in the orchard.' "'Owlet rents that of me, and he lends it to others. So it would be hard to say who put any tubs there if they should be found.' There was never such a tremendous sniffing known as that which took place in Nethermoynton Parish and its vicinity this day. All was done methodically, and mostly on hands and knees. At different hours of the day they had different plans. From daybreak to breakfast-time the officers used their sense of smell in a direct and straightforward manner only, pausing nowhere but at such places as the tubs might be expected to be secreted in at that very moment, pending their removal on the following night. Among the places tested and examined were hollow trees, potato-graves, fuel-houses, bedrooms, apple-lofts, cupboards, clock-cases, chimney-flues, rain-water-butts, pigsties, culverts, hedgerows, faggot-ricks, haystacks, coppers, and ovens. After breakfast they recommenced with renewed vigour, taking a new line, 
that is to say, directing their attention to clothes that might be supposed to have come in contact with the tubs in the removal from the shore, such garments being usually tainted with the spirit, owing to its oozing between the staves. They now sniffed at smock-frocks, old shirts and waistcoats, coats and hats, breeches and leggings, women's shawls and gowns, smiths and shoemakers' aprons, knee-naps and hedging-gloves, tarpaulins, market-cloaks, scarecrows and as soon as the midday meal was over they pushed their search into places where the spirits might have been thrown away in alarm—horse-ponds, stable-drains, cinder-heaps, mixins, wet-ditches, cesspools, sinks in yards, road-scrapings, and back-door gutters. But still these indefatigable excisemen discovered nothing more than the original tell-tale smell in the road opposite Lizzie's house, which even yet had not passed off. "'I'll tell you what it is, men,' said Latimer, about three o'clock in the afternoon. "'We must begin over again. Find them tubs I will.' The men, who had been hired for the day, looked at their hands and knees, muddy with creeping on all fours so frequently, and rubbed their noses as if they had almost had enough of it, for the quantity of bad air which had passed into each one's nostrils had rendered it nearly as insensible as a flu. However, after a moment's hesitation, they prepared to start anew except three, whose power of smell had quite succumbed under the excessive wear and tear of the day. By this time not a male villager was to be seen in the parish. Owlet was not at his mill, the farmers were not in their fields, the parson was not in his garden, the smith had left his forge, and the wheelwright's shop was silent. "'Where the devil are all the folk gone?' said Latimer, waking up to the fact of their absence and looking round. "'I'll have em up for this. Why don't they come and help us?' There's not a man about the place but the Methodist parson, and he's an old woman. I demand assistance in the King's name. We must find the general public afore we can demand that, said his lieutenant. Well, well, we shall do better without them, said Latimer, who changed his mood at a moment's notice. But there's great cause of suspicion in this silence and this keeping out of sight, and I'll bear it in mind. Now, we we'll go across to Owlet's orchard and see what we can find there. Stockdale, who heard this discussion from the garden gate, over which he had been leaning, was rather alarmed, and thought it a mistake of the villagers to keep so completely out of the way. He himself, like the exciseman, had been wondering for the last half-hour what could have become of them. Some labourers were of necessity engaged in distant fields, but the master-workmen should have been at home, though one and all, after just showing themselves at their shops, had apparently gone off for the day. He went in to Lizzie, who sat at the back window sewing, and said, "'Lizzie, where are the men?" Lizzie laughed. Where they mostly are when they run so hard as this. She cast her eyes to heaven. Up there, she said. Stockdale looked up. What? On the top of the church tower? he asked, seeing the direction of our glance. Yes. Well, I expect they will soon have to come down, he said gravely. I have been listening to the officers, and they are going to search the orchard over again. And then every nook in the church. Lizzie looked alarmed for the first time. "'Will you go and tell our folk?' she said. "'They ought to be let know.' Seeing his conscience struggling within him like a boiling pot, she added, "'No, never mind, I'll go myself.' She went out, descended the garden, and climbed over the churchyard wall, at the same time that the preventive men were ascending the road to the orchard. Stockdale could do no less than follow her. By the time that she reached the tower entrance he was at her side, and they entered together. Nethermountain Church Tower was, as in many villages, without a turret, and the only way to the top was by going up to the singer's gallery, and thence ascending by a ladder to a square trap-door in the floor of the bell-loft, 
above which a permanent ladder was fixed, passing through the bells to a hole in the roof. When Lizzie and Stockdale reached the gallery and looked up, nothing but the trap-door and five holes for the bell-ropes appeared. The ladder was gone. "'There's no getting up,' said Stockdale. "'Oh, yes, there is,' said she. "'There's an eye looking at us at this moment through a knot-hole in that trap-door.' And as she spoke the trap-door opened, and the dark line of the ladder was seen descending against the whitewashed wall. When it touched the bottom Lizzie dragged it to its place and said, "'If you go up I'll follow.' The young man ascended and presently found himself among consecrated bells for the first time in his life, nonconformity having been in the Stockdale blood for some generations. He eyed them uneasily and looked round for Lizzie. Owlet stood here holding the top of the ladder. "'What, be you really one of us?' said the miller. "'It seems so,' said Stockdale sadly. "'He's not,' said Lizzie, who overheard. "'He's neither for nor against us. He'll do us no harm.' She stepped up beside them, and then they went on to the next stage, which, when they had clambered over the dusty bell-carriages, was of easy ascent, leading towards the hole in the roof through which the pale sky appeared, and into the open air. Owlet remained behind for a moment to pull up the lower ladder. "'Keep down your heads,' said a voice as soon as they set foot on the flat. Stockdale here beheld all the missing parishioners, lying on their stomachs on the tower-roof, except a few who, elevated on their hands and knees, were peeping through the embrasures of the parapet. Stockdale did the same, and saw the village lying like a map below him, over which moved the figures of the excisemen, each foreshortened to a crab-like object, the crown of his hat forming a circular disc in the centre of him. Some of the men had turned their heads when the young preacher's figure arose among them. "'What, Mr. Stockdale?' said Matt Gray in a tone of surprise. "'I'd as lief that I hadn't been,' said Jim Clark. "'If the parson should see him trespassing here in his tower, "'twould be none the better for we, seeing how it do hate chapel members. "'He'd never buy a tub of us again. "'And he's as good a customer as we've got this side of Warmall. "'Where is the parson?' said Lizzie. "'In his house, to be sure, that he mid see nothing of what's going on, "'where all good folks ought to be.' and this young man likewise. Well, he's brought some news, said Lizzie. They're going to search the orchard and church. Can we do anything if they should find? Yes, said her cousin Owlet. That's what we've been talking of, and we settled our line. Well, I'd be dazed. The exclamation was caused by his perceiving that some of the searchers, having got into the orchard and begun stooping and creeping hither and thither, were pausing in the middle, where a tree smaller than the rest was growing. They drew closer and bent lower than ever upon the ground. "'Oh, my tubs!' said Lizzie faintly, as she peered through the parapet at them. "'They have got them, I believe,' said Owlet. The interest in the movements of the officers was so keen that not a single eye was looking in any other direction, but at that moment a shout from the church beneath them attracted the attention of the smugglers, as it did also of the party in the orchard, who sprang to their feet and went towards the churchyard wall. At the same time those of the government men who had entered the church, unperceived by the smugglers, cried aloud, "'Here be some of them at last!' The smugglers remained in blank silence, uncertain whether some of them meant tubs or men, but again peeping cautiously over the edge of the tower they learned that tubs were the things descried, and soon these fated articles were brought one by one into the middle of the churchyard from the hiding-place under the gallery stairs. "'They're going to put him on Hinton's vault till they find the rest,' said Lizzie hopelessly. The excise men had, in fact, begun to pile up the tubs on a large stone slab, 
which was fixed there. And when all were brought out from the tower, two or three of the men were left standing by them, the rest of the party again proceeding to the orchard. The interest of the smugglers in the next manoeuvres of their enemies became painfully intense. Only about thirty tubs had been secreted in the lumber of the tower, but seventy were hidden in the orchard, making up all that they had brought ashore as yet, the remainder of the cargo having been tied to a sinker and dropped overboard for another night's operations. The excisemen, having re-entered the orchard, acted as if they were positive that here lay hidden the rest of the tubs, which they were determined to find before nightfall. They spread themselves out round the field, and advancing on all fours as before, went anew around every apple-tree in the enclosure. The young tree in the middle again led them to pause, and at length the whole company gathered there in a way which signified that a second chain of reasoning had led to the same results as the first. When they had examined the sod hereabouts for some minutes, one of the men rose, ran to a disused porch of the church where tools were kept, and returned with the sexton's pickaxe and shovel, with which they set to work. "'Are they really buried there?' said the minister, for the grass was so green and uninjured that it was difficult to believe it had been disturbed. The smugglers were too interested to reply, and presently they saw, to their chagrin, the officers stand several on each side of the tree, and, stooping and applying their hands to the soil, they bodily lifted the tree and the turf around it. The apple-tree now showed itself to be growing in a shallow box, with handles for lifting at each of the four sides. Under the side of the tree a square hole was revealed, and an exciseman went and looked down. "'It's all up now,' said Owlet quietly. "'And now all of you get down before they notice we are here, and be ready for our next move. I had better bide here till dark, or they may take me on suspicion, as tis on my ground. I'll be with you as soon as the daylight begins to pink in.' "'And I,' said Lizzie, "'you please look to the lynch-pins and screws, then go indoors and know nothing at all. The chaps'll do the rest.' The ladder was replaced, and all but Owlet descended, the men passing off one by one at the back of the church, and vanishing on their respective errands. Lizzie walked boldly along the street, followed closely by the minister. "'You are going indoors, Mrs. Newbury,' he said. She knew from the words, Mrs. Newbury that the division between them had widened yet another degree. "'I am not going home,' she said. "'I have a little thing to do before I go in. Martha Sarah will get your tea.' "'No, I didn't mean on that account,' said Stockdale. "'What can you have to do further in this unhallowed affair?' "'Only a little,' she said. "'What is that? I'll go with you.' "'No, I shall go by myself. Will you please go indoors? I shall be there in less than an hour.' "'You are not going to run any danger, Lizzie said the young man, his tenderness reasserting itself. "'None whatever worth mentioning,' answered she, and went down towards the cross. Stockdale entered the garden gate and stood behind it looking on. The excisemen were still busy in the orchard, and at last he was tempted to enter and watch their proceedings. When he came closer he found that the secret cellar, of whose existence he had been totally unaware, was formed by timbers placed across from side to side about a foot under the ground and grassed over. The excisemen looked up at Stockdale's fair and downy countenance, and evidently thinking him above suspicion, went on with their work again. As soon as all the tubs were taken out they began tearing up the turf, pulling out the timbers and breaking in the sides, till the cellar was wholly dismantled and shapeless, the apple-tree lying with its roots high to the air. But the hole which had in its time held so much contraband merchandise was never completely filled up 
either then or afterwards, a depression in the greensward marking the spot to this day. End of chapter 6